Sir Reginald's Monocle, the Umbrella Academy podcast. So we are on episode two of season two, the Frankel footage. I'm here, as always, with my brother Dave. What's up, Dave? We just watched uh, episode two. How you feeling? It keeps getting better, Toby. They keep outdoing themselves. Dude, so, uh, <laughs> so we... We see at the beginning we get we get a little taste of, of the backstory of um, of the uh, the handler. So we see, or I shouldn't say backstory, but like kind of what we've missed in between, you know, since we left in season one. We see that uh, Hazel takes her out, um, but just before she's about to be cremated, she just kind of comes back to life and and uh, heads back to the office, basically. Yeah, yeah. Thank goodness for that steel plate. Yeah, as she where says. She's promptly, de- yeah, exactly. Where she's promptly demoted um, to a desk job. Yes. You know, much to her dismay. In, in I love comes Kate Walsh. She's she's so well cast in that. She plays a perfect kind of, you know, not really villain, but you know, kind of. <laughs> Yeah, I really enjoyed those scenes. I, I enjoyed the scenes with her in the first season as well as I enjoyed the scenes at that building, you know, yeah. at that headquarters. Uh, I like the uh, some of the the side, you know, the bit players as well. Um, yeah, so and I we like meet, the we meet uh, we meet her boss, who I don't Carmichael from season one. I didn't realize she worked for a fish. Yes, yes, <laughs> that's in the comics. That's fantastic. But, a fish who smokes cigarettes. I love it. I love it. That's amazing. Uh, for sure. So, yeah, they've so, done a great yeah, so job. just a little, yeah, they just laid a little background. I'm sure we're going to see more of her coming up, but they just kind of gave us a, a little bridging to show her she's still in the picture. Exactly. They, they, they bring you up to speed from season one, so worked well so when the action ensues it kind of picks up where we left off from from episode one with uh five and luther in the bar basically right after he tells him you know just leave me alone i'm not interested um i (laughs) love i love what he's like i just told you you know the the world's about to end he's like you say that all the time (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> which is pretty true pretty yeah. much every time five shows up he's letting people know about an apocalypse yeah yeah they they uh yep so and that's where we find out at the club that uh luther's boss is actually jack ruby and i i like that yeah that was a good yeah. that's a sweet little twist yeah i didn't really see that coming so, oh, and just uh, just as a um, aside, if you listen to the last episode, we were speculating as to we didn't really remember because me and Shavy D were were so uh, kind of glued to the TV on this one. We didn't really take take very good notes on some of the things from the first episode. But here here's how it went down. So um, Klaus has been there for three years. Um, Allison's been there for two years. Right. Followed Luther's by Luther. For, Luther's been there for a year. Yep. Um, September, September 1st was when Diego arrived. Right. October then, 12th is Vanya. And then, obviously, the 
the 10 days ahead and then jump back by five. But yeah, yeah as we so, said, it, yeah, Vanya's it, only been there for a month. Right. right. And, and, but uh, your point about Diego was he's only really been there for like three, actually like right. two and a half, really. Yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah, so that's where we're at. I just wanted to recap that and, and make sure that you, yeah, no, as so, soon as we got, as soon as we finished taping, I, uh, I thought about it. I sat there and thought about it for a second and it made, it, it makes the most sense, you know, obviously that that's the groundwork that had to be laid for each of those characters and stuff like that. So it's, yeah, it worked out really well. I think that that well, was it was smart how they did it too, because Vanya's only been there for a month and has been heavily advertising in all the missing person sections you know to try to find out who she is so i think it, it's important for the timeline that diego was locked up for all that time because obviously if she's putting it out there and trying to find people and diego's kind of out there trying to you know it seems like he would probably come across her at some point if they're in the same city you know what i mean for sure as well as with uh, a lot of times with time travel related stories there's issues with uh you know the uh if say the organization that you know keeps putting out the hits on the family um one of the ways that you know they sometimes will reference things is be like oh you know some historical fact happens or maybe they'll in in this case maybe they say oh all of a sudden we noticed that in the newspapers all these things were being advertised so you know we knew you guys didn't survive or that you guys survived the apocalypse because you know that's the whole thing is i i i'd love i don't necessarily feel like they have to answer the question but i would love if they would eventually answer the question of why it is important that the apocalypse happen because kate walsh the, the handler basically in season 1 at one point I think five kind of pushed back and even said, you know, why, why can't we save the world? You know, what, what is it about the apocalypse matters? You know, it's it, basically, it's going to hurt people. And she kind of says something to the effect of not all people or, or something like that. Like, like somehow somebody has a stake in that kind of outcome. So I would love to, you know, understand that a little more, but yeah yeah well, maybe they will maybe they'll they'll explore right. that a little bit um okay so where were we so luther um you know he picks up carl's wallet who vanya's staying with um so that kind of i mean he kind of now i might be getting my episodes blurred together but he comes out of the club and kind of sees her you know picking him up from the bar oh that's this episode so um She's already in the car with the guy and getting ready to drive right, him home. Right, because she came to pick him he, he up because he was drunk. Right, he, he comes, comes out, out with the wallet, um, and she, and they lock eyes briefly in the car, but she doesn't recognize him immediately, so she pulls away, you know, and then that's right. when he reflects on it, and and uh, yeah, they handled that. Uh, well, would you want to jump ahead to when? He, and then he after that he basically later yeah, in the episode they tell all this they tell all this out of joint but we can kind right. of take it a story at a time so later sounds great he comes to the comes to the not the farm but the house out in the country or whatever where they are right 
she's play basically they're getting ready for dinner and uh the boy wants to play some hide and seek so they start a quick game and they're out in the barn area or whatever kind of removed from everybody else and Luther sees her head out towards the barn, so he has pulled up in the meantime, you know, and sees her out in the barn, comes in, and he's got a handgun. You know, it takes actually, uh, he's still drinking. I mean, straight-laced Luther, you know, he's obviously been reeling all this time and uh, hits his flask, and you see a gun sitting in the seat. And when he confronts her, you know, it's in it's in his back, you know, tucked in his back belt, but, you know, you definitely get the vibe that he's there to take care of business. And uh, I really like how I thought he did a good job within the scene of displaying the transformation of I'm here to do what I have to do. And that thing that has to be done goes from basically taking her out, removing the threat to understanding what he's done wrong and stopping himself, which is really, you know, what he comes to realize is the threat. And then, you know, offers mm. the apology and confuses the shit out of her. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So. I mean, do you think that was... So you think that was fully his intent going in was he was going to put her down and just, you know, that was why he was there. I wasn't sure. It seemed like maybe he was just kind of still just legitimately afraid of her. Which would be understandable. Yes, after, but I think after that... After the last time he saw her. But I think that the reason he's afraid of her is that he is under the assumption that she has to be taken out, that she's irredeemable. You know, that's why he put her in the that room in that sealed chamber and that's why he went to confront her with a gun because when you're you know wired to be a hero or uh, you know part of this team you know you you you're not afraid to die you're not afraid to be hurt or damaged so you know the, the you're fear to fail you're just afraid to fail well that's a, actually for him yeah. specifically that's a that's a good you know observation because yeah that's that's why is the again i i say that the understanding of it's almost like a self-realization that happens in that moment you know it's the idea of you know i assume he'll sober up now probably and go back and be done with ruby after this and then probably some something negative will happen from that i'm you know just because i think that like again i i that was the moment there there had to be a moment where luther starts to come back to the to the light side and uh yeah. and that's that's yeah that well that was, was probably it. that gave him the time to do that just her said like he didn't even really believe her at first you know that she didn't know who she was you know so he was definitely definitely skeptical but you could tell that he started to crack a little bit so yeah you're right maybe that'll be you know, what sets him on kind of the path to redemption, because clearly he's been, I mean, for only being there a year, you know, he's like back on the sauce. He's like the right-hand man to Jack Ruby. I mean, he's going pretty dark pretty fast. Right. Well, exactly, because, and again, that's why I use the reference to redeemable, because I think that, 
you know, once you get into that gutter yourself and you feel like you, you yourself are irredeemable, that really gives you license to do some pretty awful things to yourself yeah. and to others. And I'm sure that this last year has been, you know, it, it will be a process, I'm sure, to come back to the light side. So, yeah. um, you know, we'll have to watch as that happens. All right, well, let's talk about uh, Allison for a second. So we see, uh, you know, Allison and her husband hanging out at home, and the cops show up. Oh, my to, God. Or, to arrest him for the assault that was actually her, but, you know, it's just so... What know, a so t- the 60s, you know, they would never... They would lose so much face to to arrest a woman for, you know, kicking that guy's ass. Well, let's be honest. I mean, that's two two comments. Absolutely couldn't be more timely. I mean, wow, because, you know, this was not filmed after the events of a few months ago. You know, so, I mean, I I just love it. I I love any time lights can be shown on that kind of bullshit. I'm you know, it's, it's love funny it, you say that, but, too. It's funny. It, I'll, I'll let you make a point. Okay, but but to, 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 but to your point about a, a woman kicking a guy's ass, let's be honest. Misogyny is brings down culture as much, if not more, than any shitty isms, no matter how shitty they are. I mean, the, 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 the oppression of women is... I mean, shit, the oppression of black women is the grossest thing that happens in this world, in my opinion. So, uh, yeah, no, that that, that scene worked on so many flipping levels. I can't, I'm just ecstatic about it. And I'm also almost shaking with like, you know, just some emotions that it brings up and shit. So, yeah, they did a great job. Like you say that it's so, you know, apropos to today... And I find that, like, you see things like that and think that a lot. Like, wow, this was, you know, filmed before all of this stuff happened, but it still seems so appropriate. But you can go back. I was literally yesterday watching an episode of uh, Brooklyn Nine-Nine from, you know, probably four years ago. And you could say the exact same thing about it because it was so on point for what's literally going on right now that, number one, that means it's pretty good television, but number two, sadly, it means that it's just the same shit that's been going on for so long that you can, you know, a, a show being made today is commentary on right now and it's commentary on five years ago, and a show from five years ago is as fresh as if it was just made today so i don't know but i digress let's not get too uh too controversial here i guess but it is, no but uh, the, it's, it's nice it's nice to see them um i mean if you're gonna go back and do a show that this season is set in the 60s you know you better address cultural things you know cultural absolutely from and and not in a job with it and and do it in a way where you know obviously the the quick dip your toe in the water with the whites only signage just to just to set the stage but 
what they've done since is so important because not only with the mantra of, you know, dignity in class or, you know, whatever their whatever the exact verbiage was, but the just the idea of, you know, uh her husband being uh, a professor that that basically felt called to do this and, you know, not only does it at personal, like say physical risk to, to put yourself out there to do those things, but like, you know, I think it's important sometimes to show, you know, a call to, to activism is not always something that you're just wired to want to do or aspire to do. Sometimes, you know, you would just as soon be living a happy life with your significant other and, and, you know, just doing your thing. But sometimes, you know, the times and the situations call for you to have to, you know, step up and be better than that. And, uh, you know, they, even with the quotes that they had in prison between him and, uh, Klaus, you know, they just, this is such a well-written show. I'm just blown away. Well, and the other thing that I noticed from that scene you know, when they were arresting Allison's husband, it, it's clear that, like, she's really taking this as a do-over and really trying not to exploit her powers because, you know, I mean, she almost used them, and if there was ever an appropriate time for her to use those powers, she could have right then. But I think that she's just making a concerted effort to just wipe the slate clean and just you know, live a life, you know, not as a, you know, a, a person with these exceptional powers. You know, she's just trying to do do good in other ways. Uh, yes, I think that there's at least, there's some level of that for sure. And, I, and I'm interested and curious to see if it stems, you know, if the motivation of the character comes from a place more of, I believe so much in what I'm doing or what we're doing. And therefore I don't want to, you know, risk tainting that or what my belief is, which I think maybe is what you're kind of saying is that, you know, she referenced more than once in the, in the first season that, you know, not just the stuff that had blowback because of using them, you know, to, you know, with her daughter and her husband and stuff, her ex, but also the fact that she just, I think at one point even said in general, there was always kind of a negative effect to it. If, if you know, and I'm not saying that, that necessarily like every time she used it, something bad happened, like it was part of the power. I'm just saying that, you know, it seemed that there was just an overall feeling of every time I'm using this something, you know, it just is not the way I want to do things or... Like I said, if it's more specific to to this new life she has now found and it's, you know, I'm gonna play it straight type of thing. You know, you know what I'm saying? I, I don't I don't well, know. She's already she's already experienced having, you know, a life people would dream of, but coming to that by, you know, right. unearned means. Yes. So she's felt the emptiness. She can never know. I mean, if you think you right. hear you hear like, you know, ce- you know, not necessarily just celebrities, but you hear, 
incredibly <laughs> successful people all the time. You can never know what people in, feel. They talk about this imposter syndrome where even if they've legitimately achieved great things, they still can't help but think, you know, do I deserve this or when's the other shoe going to drop kind of thing. So imagine if you achieved, you know, fame and great things by just basically using magic, you know, you'd feel like shit about it. So I think maybe she's happy that she lives in a world where she has kind of a clean slate. Nobody knows who she is. She doesn't have to, you know, get any gains in life using the power. She can, you know, not use it at all if she doesn't want to. Right. You know, yeah, I, I, I get I your point. Arc right now. Yeah, I get your point. I just, uh, yeah, I think that the... Well, I think the main question of emptiness that you'd be left with in situations like that would just be with your with the people in your life. Because, you know, even means that you get through kind of, you know, not the most up and up way of doing things is one thing. But, you know, when you somehow affect how people either care or don't care about you and then to not know those closest to you how they really feel right. you know that would be well obviously yes the that uh, would leave the, you very empty the impact on your you know personal and family relationships of course would be more so but for someone like Allison who even her career was based on you know hearing a rumor that that the world loved her and thought she was amazing. You know what I'm saying? All right, so we also learned a lot more about, I uh, shouldn't say a lot, but we learned a little bit more about what Klaus has been up to. Um, he's been there the longest, so he's there going on like three years now, it sounds like. And uh, it seems like he's achieved some level of, notoriety has been on the speaking circuit a little bit maybe has had some you know little uh uh talks public talks you know maybe a little hippie kind of movement but uh yeah he's like a spiritual guru now right is that what you got from that yeah well and once he made the reference to that he didn't when he got released from jail that he didn't know the governor the governor basically got him out of jail but he did he didn't know the governor but he knew a lot of his powerful donors so what that made me think is just that like i'm very anxious to find out i mean definitely because of his his new wardrobe and stuff i'm definitely thinking cult leader um and i don't mean like in a you know mass extinction sort of cult leader i'm thinking like a free love you know like you said hippie cult type of thing but i'm interested though because of the reference to the powerful people like, I mean, a lot can happen in three years. So, like, what what gave him that initial notoriety? You know, was it kind of fun, playful, like, knowing things he shouldn't know because of his connection to the dead? Or is it, like, maybe some larger event that somehow was so big it was, there was government involvement? Or, you know, are these powerful people people that maybe came and, cross some lines at one of these, you know, hippy dippy, you know, cult meetings or you know what I mean? Like there's so yeah, much they, potential well, for a million different too, they, angles. It, they 
they refer to him as the prophet also. So maybe, you know, in addition to the, you know, connection to the afterlife, maybe he used some of his knowledge of the future to, you know, appear to be, you know, a prophet in some way as well, you know. Although, you know, Ben's, or not Ben, but, uh, oh, although since he has Ben with him, that helps. I was going to say Klaus is probably the the least prepared to, you know, benefit from knowledge of, like, history, because he seems like he's been high for most of it. Um, but with Ben there, you know, Ben could tell him information. Right, and... and I don't know, he stumbled into that house at the end that had the portrait of himself, so uh, it seems like he's achieved in, in the three years. He's... Right. Well, my assumption is recognized him. My assumption is somehow that he, you know, the prophet aspect will be that he prophesies the end of the world because he probably was losing his shit, you know, when he initially arrived in that time. But then to to gain legitimacy, he probably spoke to different people's dead relatives to say, hey, you know, Aunt Millie said, you know, you know, sorry for, you know, Whatever. So he probably just, yeah, he probably just made a business out of it, charging these ultra rich people to to connect to do right. Well, and and yeah, it could have been any anything out of like you know something like like you're saying, like money, just out of necessity, maybe greed, or even um, something that he was trying to do in a in a positive sense that went wrong. And yeah, I mean, there's just uh, there's a lot of potential with that. So it's uh, and again with with each of these different scenarios having different time frames, you know, and his being the longest, I mean, there's just a lot of things he could have gotten into in that period of time, that arc. So, Yeah. yeah they're, they're, uh, they're doing such a nice job tying it all together too, with like, you know, the whole, it's great writing Carl being at the bar with, you know, talking to Jack Ruby and now we got Allison's husband in jail with Klaus, so everything's just, you know, they're they're getting layered. Their, everybody's paths cross at, at the time that they need to cross, so it, it, it's it's coming together very cool. It, it's oh, outstanding. Thing, spe- speaking of, I forgot to mention this when we were talking about um, uh, the scene with Allison and her husband. One of the things I love that a lot of TV shows or movies would not do this, and it's almost like something that wouldn't make sense, but when she went to visit her husband in jail, he asked her, he's like, what was up with saying, I heard a rumor? He's like, you said it twice. Because, like, so many yes. times that scene would Acknowledgement. have happened. And, you, and you'd think, wouldn't that seem weird to the husband that yeah. she just said I like to the that. cop twice, I heard a rumor, and then Great point. finished the sentence? So, I mean, that's cool. Like, that's realistic because you would ask that. Like, what the hell was that that you were talking about there? 100%. I, I, that's a great point you make. I, I really do like that. And um, it's just like on a, on a more, you know, uh, I guess deeper emotional level, the, the scene um, where Diego goes in to check on his uh, friend from the asylum and she's kind of losing her shit. She's like, the last time I saw stuff, you know, they put me in the loony bin. 
And he's like, no, yeah. you really saw, you know, whatever. But like, <laughs> it's actually happening this time, right? You know, but just the acknowledgement of that. <laughs> yes, like she, you are crazy, but this is uh, right. crazy that's making you see this. Well, and also just the for sure that. But I mean, the idea that like if you're gonna, if we're gonna invest in and 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 want to ride with the, with this new character with her, um, she, she can't just be that like paper thin. You know, she's along for the ride, and as everything happens, she just takes it takes it in blindly, and it's all good. I mean, she's been very funny with as the stuff's been happening, but like when five jumped and stuff like that, where stuff is you know spilling over into the unreal, you know, I like that they acknowledge that she's all of a sudden like, whoa, you know, this was just kind of fun and goofy, whatever, but now. Right. Did I just see what I really thought I saw and stuff? So I like that they. She's not a one dimensional, you know, I'm the crazy badass girl who's going to, you know, I'm going to watch your ass, Diego. You know, I'm going to save you. And, you know, just that very simple that they could have gone with. They've already made her flawed and fragile. 30 seconds to ground her and make her a real, like, show her humanity and stuff. It was great. Just, again, just. Great choice after great choice. Um, so very impressive. Now. So, so yeah, moving over to the Frankel footage. The Frankel yes. film. Amazing. Um, so, you know, during, during the whole. Uh, bar scene. You know, yeah, the whole bar stuff that happened. Five realizes that, uh, you know, uh, what's, his, what's his face? Hazel, when, when he first brought him back the 10 days had slipped the film in his pocket, the Frankel well, film. And just real quick, again, to speak to really quality preparation and follow-through on the show, the idea that moving in his chair, he catches his pocket and it rips, which causes him to check that pocket. It's not just all of a sudden that it fits the scene and he reaches in his pocket. Yes, I mean, tearing his pocket is a very convenient thing for the show. Don't get me wrong. It's still manufactured in that sense, but it's it's a subtle it's that s- subtle difference that lends to the believability in my view, in that that suspension of disbelief, if you will. And I love it. I just and that and uh, but he's uh, nailing it. I mean, and and they've done a good job. I mean, obviously they 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 went back to back quick enough where he hasn't aged too much but you know there's a little bit of of you know change and uh but they've handled it very well right but they've handled it very well with with you know how they've shot him you know uh it's oh can't say enough can't say enough so he so he gives uh gives the film to elliot uh the the dude that's been kind of helping him out and um has them develop it and then they show back up show show up at the uh at elliot's place and you know he's got a gun on him and he's like what the hell's going on kind of thing and obviously they you know he's no threat to, to the heart to the heart groups children but um they get the film developed they set it all up and watch and it's basically the grassy knoll full of footage from the Kennedy assassination, and they zoom it in, and uh, it's uh, Sir Reginald. Oh, so sweet. 
Oh my God. I talk about payoff. I am again, there's all of these characters are great. I I'm invested in all of them. They've done a great job, you know, starting to kind of give you their backstories, flush them out a little bit, but they've given you just enough of Sir Reginald so far, but they've left him so mysterious and to see that grainy image Man, I stood up out of my chair. It was, I, I, I can't wait to see where they eventually go. But immediately, I'm like, oh, my goodness. And then well, go ahead the and explain they, what happened. They've, they've uh, built that character so well that, you know, and again, like in watching the show, I'm starting to feel like I'm at a little bit of an advantage having not read the books yet. Because for me right now, you might know more having read them. But for me, like, I see Sir Reginald on the grassy knoll and and think, well, okay, he could be there to kill Kennedy. It, just like I said in the recap about when Five was there in the first season in the flashback, he could be there to kill him or he could be there to save him. Yeah. You know, that, that character is so mysterious and unclear on his motivations yet that you just have no idea. Well, first of all, just the the idea of him being a monocle-wearing English dandy is fantastic. Okay, right there, home run, bam. But yes, the, I don't know if ambiguity is the right word, but it's it's the idea of balance. It's the idea of, I don't necessarily gravitate to the pure blood hero. And I certainly don't gravitate to the anti-hero. What I gravitate to usually is someone that understands that the world has to exist in some level of balance. And there's some people that I think not only understand that, but embrace it to a level where they, you know, some events have to happen for renewal and and growth and advancement and all the positive things that happen in life so you know easy thanos yeah well what are you planning shaving right (laughs) (laughs) shaving is gonna restore some balance yes it'll be a lottery but uh, no, the but just the idea that in in the natural world, even you know, it it doesn't even have to be someone's you know uh, facilitating it themselves, but sometimes it may be them allowing it to be facilitated. So you know, and that's not and that's not a moral musing per se you know that's just a sometimes there's a pragmatism to hope as well you know so yeah the one of the things about you know seeing sir reginald in in this event in history and like seeing like is now obviously five is gonna try to go track him down now um but seeing him there, it makes you wonder, like, up to this point, it seemed like Sir Reginald is kind of the puppet master and in control of everything. 
but seeing him out there it makes you wonder at this point you know in 1963 you know was he just a, a cog in some other machine or you know just part of part of someone else's organization where he wasn't the one you know calling the shots maybe he's just the uh the muscle at this point in history um i i definitely understand that that thought process that i don't was really my thought then obviously it, it clears it up a little bit as we get to the end of the episode well for so sure we'll, we'll touch on that but i saw him out there well, we'll, we'll, yeah, I wasn't even going to go there because I know we'll get to that. But what I'm saying is just the fact that because of the reference to him, you know, getting off the boat and, you know, going in and purchasing the Umbrella Factory and such, you know, it seemed like, uh, I don't know, I guess my mind just didn't didn't go there. But what it, what I did, my kind of aha moment when I saw the grainy image was the idea that, you know, you don't know if it was just five that could jump through time, it'd be one thing. But the fact that we've established this whole organization that basically is actively involved in time and with the briefcases and so on and so forth, you know, there's just the idea that Sir Reginald is no more is no longer contained in a chronological sense for me. You know, he maybe he has the capacity to be jumping all around. Now, don't get me wrong that event would have been in his quote unquote lifetime. So there's no reason it should, could have just been, he was, you know, uh, an international man of mystery, if you will, that was connected and was involved in that event. But for me, it, my immediate thought was just not that he was necessarily maybe potentially working for somebody. It was that, wow, maybe he's even bigger in the picture than, Maybe he's a lot. He's bigger in the big picture than I even thought. Right. So well, maybe that's kind of where my mind went. Been, maybe he's been around, you know, longer than correct. We initially thought he's been around. So, yes. I mean, he had to do some business. I mean, you gotta, you gotta raise some capital if you're just gonna straight up buy seven kids on the black market. <laughs> right. You gotta, have, you gotta have some walking around money. Yeah, well, androids didn't come cheap back then either, you know. Right, exactly. So, so they they kind of you know let their fingers do the walking and the phone book, and they they track down, you know, it's it's kind of nice. They were able to like low tech just find the umbrella factory. You know, they can't like Google it at this point, but just open up the phone book. There it is. Um, so Diego and Five uh, head out to the. Uh, to the umbrella factory to investigate and and that's when we see baby pogo oh jackpot oh adorable and sweet and five you know recognizes him right away you know which i guess in context you know but i i would think that maybe since it was 1963 he might not have immediately known that it was pogo you know, that's an old ass monkey at that point and you know. But yeah. anyway, he recogni- he recognizes him as Pogo and approaches him accordingly. Not not thinking for a second that, you know, this is a this is a potentially dangerous animal who will not know who you are for another twenty five years. Right. Well all he's ever known Pogo as <laughs> is that, that, you know, sage advice giver. From his youth. Yeah. 
So yeah, so he goes. Yeah, in. it was cute. I mean, it's no, Pogo it's gives right. Him the it's sweet eyes, but then he gives him the the uh, yeah. slap in the ear. Like he, he's he's not quite Baby life. Yoda, but he's definitely a he's definitely yeah. got his cute factor is way up there. Yeah, he gives gives Baby Yoda a run for his money. Um, so yeah, so that doesn't go too well. Um, and then Pogo kind of slips away, and then elsewhere in the building, uh, Diego throws down with the shadow shadowy figure in the darkness um who turns out to be sir reginald so this was by far my favorite part of the episode uh, amazing throw down amazing in the episode i i also loved uh before we talk about the fight i also loved um five describing diego by saying think batman but lower the bar yeah, aim lower. Think aim Batman, lower. but aim lower. <laughs> aim lower. Uh, yes. But anyway, so, uh, yeah, Diego throws down in, in an awesome battle with Sir Reginald, which was super sweet to watch. Um, uh, and then, you know, pretty much stabs him at the end, so we don't know what, I mean, we end the episode with Diego laying there bleeding. Um just such an awesome scene with sir reginald walking off into the shadows and you know pogo like he calls calls pogo and he just jumps down grabs his hand and they walk that was dope oh it's magnificent (laughs) well and i just love the fact that you know the the most strained relationship of all the children with sir reginald is diego's and and the fact that you know, he was he had the upper hand for that split second with the crowbar, and he goes in and he see he really gets a good look at his face, and he's like, "Dad," and he pauses for that second, and fucking Sir Reginald guts him with the. the and that's always, knife. I mean, that's that's almost to the point where it's a, a, a bit of a, a movie trope at this point. The whole, you know, the shock of recognizing them. You know, being just the opportunity that the person needs to get the upper hand, but they played it awesomely. Absolutely, you're absolutely right. But the but again, it's all about choices and the fact that if it would have been with anybody else but Diego, it it would have been absolutely fallen into that. But the fact that he is the one that act, like he doesn't call him dad to him. He'll call. He'll reference him as dad to the other siblings, but I don't think he calls him that. So the fact that he said out loud, you know, yeah, I. Oh my goodness! And then what? Uh, well, actually, don't even say the line because that's so awesome when you that final line that. I yeah that in in fairness to the viewers that 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 we'll we'll save that for them. But it it's yeah they just ended so awesomely this this show does such a good job with and it's hard for what we're doing right now but it makes you want to watch the next one immediately it's so oh for sure you know table those so yes good stuff anything else to add on this episode I just, I want more immediately. It's, it's outstanding. They, they are. Oh, props also to the music. Yes. They, they clearly have spent a ton on music, number one, um, because, I mean, they literally, I mean, there's times where it's like two different well-known songs within one two-minute scene. 
you know it yeah. just changes i mean they they do it so well to like change the tone of whatever's happening they're just doing a fantastic job with that well that's you you know what i'm glad you made that point because it's it's speaks to the atmosphere that the the way they're able to establish tone and 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 a sense of what it does the show is amazingly well written and they can very much hang their hat on dialogue but what this cast has done is they've really established a kind of almost i guess i guess i want to call it like a physical rapport with the audience and you know music can convey such emotion by itself that that like you said they they've done such a good with the good job with the soundtrack for the show so far that when they're hitting hitting the mark on that it really allows for the actors to act you know with so much more than just their words you know you know what i'm saying i mean there's just a real they're just establishing a really nice presence and a really nice you know, atmospheric feel to the show, and and I think that the music really speaks well, to that. You, so, so you make a great point. You want a show like this to be fun, you know. You want the the depth in the characters, and you want the shocking twists, and you want the violent ass kicking. But overall, you want to be having fun the whole time. So they can take a scene that otherwise might come off you know very dark and unsettling for some people but if you set that scene to mel torme it takes you into a different tone there where you're not it's almost so uh like juxtaposed to what's happening on the screen that it makes it fun it adds to the experience of it and it keeps it from ever getting too heavy that's a that, another great point. It, the best example is season one, the Istanbul scene. You, yes. you, know, you do that to and seek and destroy by Metallica, and it gets a lot right. darker. It's not nearly as yeah. funny and and light. Yeah. You know, and Netflix yeah. gets gets a lot more emails from Karen. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yes, sir. But they're doing such an awesome job, so I, I hope that everybody listening is enjoying the show as much as we are and enjoying us yapping yes. about it. So uh, come back in a couple days. We'll have episode three for you, and uh, we'll see we'll see what happens with these crazy kids next. You know it. All right, Shavy D. Now wait for me. Don't jump ahead. We're binging this together, so we're going to... It's one of the hardest things I've done in a while, entertainment-wise, so... Uh, but I, I'm, I'm holding out and, uh, and, uh, we're making it happen. All right. If you get antsy, just, just go back and watch a couple old episodes of Young Justice or something. You know, it's like a, that always, that always sets me straight. Keeps you chill. Yeah. Yeah. Keeps you mellow and centered. So, all right. Well, thanks for listening to Sir Reginald's Monocle. I'm Toby Shaver. I'm Dave Shaver. We'll see you next time. Peace.